Hi neighbors, I've been thinking a lot about you today since I watched the Super Bowl. And yes, I waited until after I watched the Super Bowl to uh, do this podcast because a Super Bowl is America's football at its best. I know, I know. If you're listening to this from another country, you might be asking yourself, what's so special about American football? It just seems so dangerous. Aren't you so worried about the players that you don't want to watch the game? To that, if you've been thinking that, I would answer that you're more likely to get hurt if you're playing rugby, wrestling, or even women's gymnastics. You are also more likely to die if you do swimming, or base jumping. You know, that sport where you jump off tall buildings and start to fly. Okay, not fly. You jump off tall structures, fall down to the ground, and hope that your parachute saves you. You don't have time for a backup parachute to deploy, so you hope that your one parachute works. And you know, you really hope it works. Base jumping is so dangerous that it's deemed illegal in many parts of the world. Not like football or swimming. Those are not illegal. Besides, to like football, you'll even have to play football yourself. You can just enjoy the festivities around the Super Bowl. And you'll even have to leave your house to watch the Super Bowl. You can watch it on live television. The commercials are some of the best of the year. Trust me, I know because they spelled millions for each commercial. And the halftime show is awesome. Amazing! Plus, according to some statistics, more food is consumed on Super Bowl Sunday than on Thanksgiving. That's a lot of food. Thus, if you ask what the Super Bowl and American football have to do with feeding, think food. Lots of it being consumed while watching television for hours and enjoying the game or the commercials or all of it. There's excitement in the air, and I'll spend this episode talking about what the football game and the very act of becoming a football player in the NFL have to do with your child's feeding. The one phrase to sum it up is that life doesn't always turn out how you would predict, even if you have already achieved a particular goal. That goal, once you achieve it, may not turn out exactly how you planned. When you get to that place where you think you have achieved success and life doesn't quite turn out like you expect, you have choices to make about what you will do. Some of those choices may surprise you. The, don't make those choices out of fear. The fear of the unknown can be worse than reality. Not always, but often enough. Hi, neighbors on this feeding journey. I'm Dr. Evka with the Feeding Handbook. I empower mothers whose young children have challenges around food, a limited variety of safe foods, a loss of appetite, or medical symptoms that contribute to a fear of feeding. As a family physician turned life coach whose own child struggle with feeding, I get you. My mission is to guide you on this feeding journey in an actionable, research-based way as I've been there. I've done that. I have the marks to prove it. And I want to help take away your fear and confusion. You have been feeling overwhelmed with a child who has challenging mealtime behavior, picky eating, a feeding tube, only dream feeding, oral version, sensory defenselessness, or food allergies, including FIs. It's your time to feel different. Let's do this. Just remember that I am not your doctor and I'm not your medical professional. When I'm sharing this, it partly it's opinion-based. And go see your regular doctors when you want to get medical care. Because I am a doctor, but I'm not your doctor. Does that make sense? Okay. 
This episode is sponsored by my upcoming podcast and workshop on bullying. A few weeks ago, I spoke to a physician turned lawyer about the effects of bullying when a child has food allergies, picky eating, differences in sensory processing, only dream feeding, feeding tubes, or other special needs. Prior to talking to him, I surveyed a group of physician moms and a group of moms whose children had advice for protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome about their experiences with bullying. And let me tell you, my question got so many responses. So many mothers have been affected by bullying, and I wanted to explore that on a deeper level. Thus, I'll have a whole workshop dedicated to it. Go on the website with the feeding physician, Dr. Evka, to find out more. Let's talk about what it takes to become a football player, because let me tell you, it's pretty interesting. And this part you already know, so let's start with what you already know. Children don't come out of the womb holding a football. That would be interesting if they did, huh? A baby doesn't live in the womb with a football and practice football all day long while in the womb. Instead, some children learn to play football once they're out of the womb, once they're actually born. And they continue to play it and work really, really, really hard uh, playing it. And they play it to such an exceptional level that eventually they're drafted into the NFL, the National Football League. How wonderful you might think, once you are drafted into the NFL, it's nothing but happiness from there. But that might not be the case. I recently read an article by Emmanuel Echo entitled, Cut Day, the Darkest Day in the NFL. In the article, Emmanuel Echo mentions what happened to him once football season started. While football fans were so happy to see football season begin, and some of his friends were so happy to see him play football, he, on the other hand, was anxious. He anxiously waited to see if he would be cut from the football team. At the beginning of the football season, there were 90 teammates on his football team. 90! Eventually, that number would need to be cut to about 53. That means that 40 players would either be put on the injured reserve list or cut from that team. That's a little less than half of the original 90 football players. Kind of reminds me of people who go to law school. And in some of these law schools, they're told, look to your left, look to your right. One of you will not be present once uh, law school finishes. You will have dropped out. But similar here, not everybody who initially makes it on the football team actually winds up on the full list of the team. A lot of people get cut. Now, most football players don't want to be cut from the team. They don't want to be told, please return your playbook. Your services are no longer needed. They're out of work being football players, at least for that moment, if they're cut from the team. They don't want that. They want to be paid. They want to be part of the team. As far as I know, players typically only get paid for the weeks that are on the team's roster or in a special designation called injured service instead of uh, being on a roster the only other way to get paid is to have an injury now you might be thinking that nfl players get paid enough even if they're cut from the team just their signing bonus is so much money they get a signing bonus and what is that i read a post that in 2020 the minimum rookie salary was six hundred and ten thousand dollars 
Wow! For many of you, that's a huge amount of money to be paid in one year. But in the field of football, when you see your teammates making tens of millions of dollars, $610 does not seem like enough. I know. It's all relative. For me, $610. That's a lot of money. Thus, in a desperate attempt, some football players would rather get really injured in football than to be cut from the team. You see, if you're injured, you can continue to collect a pretty substantial salary, and you're technically still part of the team. Thus, in his article, Emmanuel Echo went on to say that he knew of a offensive lineman with a strained shoulder worried about being cut from the team he repeatedly ran into a wall with his shoulder in hopes of be being dislocated he like ran into the wall with his shoulder that was hurt in hopes that he would dislocate it who would do that if his shoulder that dislocated the offensive lineman would be put on the injured list and would continue to get paid he would be out on the injured list for weeks, and he would technically still be part of the team. The offensive lineman preferred dislocating his own shoulder to being cut from the team. And let me tell you, the injuries sustained with a dislocated shoulder are nothing to be laughed at. Once a shoulder has dislocated once, it's more likely to dislocate again. There's a chance the blood vessels and nerves will also be injured. Ouch! Yet, that dream of being part of the team and probably of making more money was so strong for these football players, they had practiced for much of their lives to become football players and to be part of the NFL. It was so tied to their identities, and the thought of being cut from the team was more ten terrifying than the thought of being put on the injured list. Their sense of purpose might have been so tied to being a football player on the team in the NFL, and if they weren't, that was a little scary. How does this relate to our children who have challenges around food and feeding? Let's start by talking about your own sense of identity. As a parent, or even as a grandparent, or another family member, you may have expected life to work out in a specific way. Before this new person came into your family, you had preconceived notions of what parenthood, or grandparenthood, or other type of familyhood would look like. Perhaps your preconceived notions looked like this. You imagined becoming best buddies with neighbors whose children were of similar ages. You would see each other frequently at each other's houses. You would just hang out. Oh, all these best buddies all of a sudden, wow. You would all enjoy meals together. The children would just love food. Of course, your children wouldn't have any food allergies. Having children, grandchildren would complete you. You would be so much happier than you are already. Okay. Maybe you thought some of these things about parenting or grandparenting. Maybe you thought none of these things, but you still had some kind of preconceived notions of life after this child came to be. It's like some football players, when they strive to be football players, at some point, while they're striving to become part of the NFL, they have preconceived notions of how wonderful life would be once they are NFL football players. 
I'm not sure how many aspiring football players thought long and hard about causing physical harm to themselves if they ever got to the NFL. Like many of them, worked really hard to become football players in the NFL. Some of you worked really hard to become parents. Some of you had difficulty conceiving a baby. You spent thousands of dollars on infertility treatments and subjected yourselves to all kinds of medical procedures or medications just so that you could have a baby. You really wanted to have a baby and you tried really hard to conceive. Others of you might have decided to go the route of an adoption, and not all adoptions are easy. You might have been on the adoption waiting list for years before you had a chance to adopt. Having that child meant so much to you. You spent so much time trying to hold your own child in your arms. The very act of becoming a parent might have become a part of your self-identity. Perhaps you didn't have difficulty conceiving and did not adopt a child. But if you think about it, I have a feeling the sum of your sense of self was tied up in becoming a parent or being a parent or a grandparent of a child who was a particular way or let you experience life in a particular way. Then what happened? You're now like that football player who made it to the NFL. You had your baby. And some of those preconceived notions of parenthood or other type of familyhood turned out to be ones that you formed before having the evidence for their truth. COVID-19 happened. You weren't able to see other parents or grandparents and their children as much as you may have imagined that you'd be able to. Perhaps your children didn't love food in the same way that you do, especially if you're a foodie. Yum, food. Perhaps there were food allergies which limited what the child was able to safely eat. Perhaps your children had other challenges around feeding. You might have previously thought to yourself that you would excel at parenting or grandparenting. After all, especially if you're a high achiever, you have excelled at so many other things. If you're an attorney, a doctor, a researcher, a self-starter, for instance, prior to becoming a mom or a dad, you may have thought that your ability to research a subject until you were an expert in it was amazing. If any food-related or feeding-related challenges happened to your child, you wouldn't find them to be all that challenging. After all, you would become an expert in them in no time, or so you thought. Then reality happened. You learned that you cannot crack the code of knowing all things related to your child, food and feeding, simply by reading about it. There are things about these subjects that have no perfect answers. In fact, there's a saying that the more knowledge you have, the more you realize how much more there is still to know. You start to come up to the edges of what science and research can tell us. And you start to realize that there's a point where you have to make decisions more intuition than whether you have a specific amount of book knowledge. Sometimes the best you can do is just to do a particular action because you're forced into an action, even if the action is nothing, like doing nothing is also an action. And anyway, sometimes the best you can do is just do a particular action and hope for the best. It's kind of like that football player who has worked so hard to be part of the NFL. That football player finally got there. He signed on to an NFL team. He is working so hard for so long for this. 
He's already achieved so much just by getting to the point of being in the NFL. Yet once he got there, once he got to the NFL, it was a whole different ballgame. He learned that he could be a strong or fast football player. But there were other people out there who were good too. Just because he got to picked to be in the NFL does not mean that he would make it into the final roster for the football team. In the same way, in your parenting journey, there's still so much that you can't control. You could be one of the most knowledgeable, most nurturing, most good with kids parent. You could have done so many things to try to make your pregnancy or your baby as healthy as possible, yet you could still face challenges in your parenting relationship. Your child could have food allergies. Your child could have sensory challenges. You could swear that your child never feels hungry. You could have a very picky eater. Feeding could take your child an hour with each and every meal. You could have a child with other special needs. And guess what? You can't control all of it. You can only do the best that you can do. At this point, you get to choose what you next want to do. Do you want to be like one of those football players who creates self-harm just so they can stay with the football team even if the harm puts them on the injured list? You could try to make sure that your knee really gets damaged to the point of needing surgery, or you could try to get your shoulder dislocated. In that way, you could pretend to yourself that you're still the world's best football player. It's just that you happen to be injured right now. Now, mind you, I believe that most football players on the injured list aren't there because they harm themselves. For those football players who truly get injured in the sport, I want to say that I understand you, and I'm not talking about you. Thank you for playing a sport that you love, even though it comes with inherent risk. I hope that you get better, or that you have gotten better. Instead, I am talking to that football player who will do anything to not get cut from the team. I'm also talking to that parent, grandparent, or other family member who will try to do what they can do to continue believing that their child has no special needs, no challenges around food, or no food allergies. Let me tell you how that family member might act. What does self-harm look like for a parent whose child has challenges around food or feeding? What does that harm look like to the child? What does it look like in the face of holding on so strongly to that identity of what it would be like to be a parent or grandparent when parenting doesn't meet reality? It could be like the story that one mother recently shared with me about her in-laws who do not believe that her, their grandchild has food allergies. Whenever she needs them to watch her child, which they will gladly do, they agree and they respect her decision to not feed her, the child certain foods, but they complain about it the entire time. They're only following this advice, the mom's advice, because they don't want to argue with the mother. However, in reality, they think that the child does not have any food allergies, even when the doctor in this note shows that the child does. They keep asking, what does the doctor know? You can't trust those doctors. Many of you face this concern in family members. They deny the existence of a very real medical condition or a very real challenge in their heads. Food allergies, feeling challenges, or some special needs couldn't possibly happen to this young child who's part of the family. I want to explore this topic even further and we will do so in my upcoming bullying series. 
Let me give you another example of this false belief system. And it has to do with Amy and her mom, who happens to be a nurse practitioner. So she knows a thing or two about medicine. Amy has a medical condition that slowly makes it harder and harder for her to swallow food. For years, Amy did not need a feeding tube or a major change in her diet. She was able to eat and stay a normal weight and height. Amy's mom really helped her with the feeding. Yet over time, the medical condition took its toll and Amy started to get multiple episodes of back-to-back -back pneumonia. The doctors wondered if the food was going the wrong way when Amy swallowed it. Instead of going into the digestive tract, perhaps the food was going into the airways where it shouldn't be. <coughs> food in the lungs can contribute to the development of pneumonia. <coughs> Thus, the doctors did a test to see what happened to food that Amy swallowed. And guess what they found out? Some of Amy's food moved into her airways when she swallowed. It was contributing to back-to-back -back episodes of pneumonia. The doctors recommended a very specialized diet for Amy, and if that didn't work, a long-term feeding tube. They told mom, your daughter is going to keep getting sick with pneumonia if you don't change her diet and consider a feeding tube. They talked to her about this over and over again, trying to get her to listen. And what did Amy's mom say back to them? She said, I've been feeding Amy for years and she's been fine. I'm an expert in caring for my daughter and much of her life centers around eating food just like other children her age. For her to lose the ability to eat her regular foods would be devastating to Amy and I won't do it. Amy's mom clung on to the false belief that and unrealistic expectation that Amy would continue to feed in the same way that she had in the past. Amy's mom thought, I've taken such good care of my child and I know what's best for my child. I know that she can eat like many of her friends and I believe that eating isn't the reason why my daughter is coming down with all these pneumonias. So what did Amy's mom do? Not what the doctors recommended initially. She continued to feed her daughter. Her self-worth was tied to being able to have Amy hung out with her friends and to eat meals just like they do. And so what happened to Amy? She kept getting sick with episodes of pneumonia to the point that she could no longer be with her friends as much. She was often sick with a high fever, a cough, and other symptoms of pneumonia. Now, I could continue the story and tell you about how eventually Amy wound up on a feeding tube, but that's not the purpose here. The purpose is to tell you that things like this happen. There are family members or other caregivers out there who just can't bring themselves to face reality. It's kind of like the football player who harms himself just to be on the injured list for the NFL team as opposed to being completely cut from the team. That football player believes that he'll be cut from the team and wants to find an alternative, even if it creates some level of harm. Again, I'm not saying that this is how the majority of football players get on the injured list. Instead, what I'm saying is that this can happen in football and it does happen in the NFL. So what's the alternative? What's the alternative to denying reality? 
the alternative is to face one's fear and to have emotional reactions to that because some of those emotional reactions are not going to be the most pleasant is to realize that it's okay to be cut from a football team it's okay to realize that child has food allergies needs a feeding tube or is another special need the football pair may have wanted to stay part of the NFL team forever. The family member might not have wanted their child to have any challenges around food or feeding. I get that. When you have worked so hard to be in the NFL, to become pregnant, to adopt a child, or to have a child another way, you want the process once you get there to be easier because you've worked so hard just to get to this point. The football player may want to play all of these games with the NFL because he's worked so hard to be part of the NFL. He might feel that he deserved them because of all of this hard work. As a parent, especially if it was hard for you to have a child, you might feel like you deserve to have a child without too many challenges. Yet, nothing in life is guaranteed. Life throws us all kinds of curveballs. And we have a choice in how we respond to them. Will we respond like Emmanuel? The football linebacker who played in the NFL but got cut from his team. Yeah, he took it in stride and he kept on practicing, hoping that one day he would be back in the NFL. He kept hoping that one day soon he would again be playing on some NFL team. He then went on to play multiple games that record over 30 tackles in the NFL a year later. Will we respond like the responsible family member who just wants to help their child in the most evidence-based possible, a way that's firmly grounded in reality, even though by doing so you're facing your fears, you're facing these emotions, you don't stop trying and helping your child. This reminds me of my favorite commercial that I saw on the Super Bowl Sunday, because I really like some of the commercials. I'm sure that you've had some of your favorite ones this year too from the commercials, right? So what was your favorite commercial? I'll tell you mine. Toyota's commercial featured the American Paralympic swimmer Jessica Lang. She's a 13-time Paralympic gold medalist and the second most decorated U.S. Paralympian in history. Her story as is portrayed on the Super Bowl in that commercial. Her story was one of strength and hope in all of us. Jessica Lang was born in Siberia and was adopted by Americans from a Russian orphanage. When she was 13 months old, her legs were amputated below her knees. As a child in Maryland, she pretended she, she was a mermaid and she learned how much she loved to swim in her grandparents' pool. By the time she was 10 years old, she swam competitively. And then she went on to do great things in uh, Paralympic history. Imagine what would have happened if Jessica Lang was not adopted and given the opportunity to swim regularly. Imagine if people had given up on her true potential despite the fact that her legs were amputated. Jessica's family believed in her. They believed in her ability to rise to greatness. It's similar with our children who have challenges around food, feeding, or other special needs. Many they still have amazing things to offer the world. But those amazing things wouldn't be possible without family standing strong, facing reality, and being the biggest advocates for their children. 
it wouldn't be possible if our children didn't get the therapy that they needed. It wouldn't be possible if they lost their lives to an allergic reaction that could have been prevented. And when your children are small, you hang on to that hope that despite how the feeling is now, there is a whole amazing future or amazing something in the lives of these children. All right, that's enough for now. Any questions? If you do have questions, you can discuss them with me by submitting comment on my YouTube channel. Now I'm doing um, Ask Me Anything sessions once a week, mostly on Fridays on Instagram. Hit subscribe, give this episode a like, and comment on it. I'll try to comment right back. If you're listening to this episode as a podcast, just go to my website for The Feeding Physician, Dr. Evka, The Feeding Handbook. All of these will currently take you in the same place because I'm not sure yet which one I'm going to use is like the main one, the main URL. You can reach out to me by getting on my mailing and subscribing to my free course. Thank you so much for another episode of The Feeding Handbook Podcast. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Heat Feeding Handbook Show. I think you're not, 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 I think you're